Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. So I'm just going to get right into the word. I just want to say special thanks to, uh, he's not new, but he's new to us, Pastor Larry, for opening your pulpit. It means a lot to me, and it's a great honor to stand behind the pulpit here, and it's always an honor to be here and see your faces. Most of you I know, a few new faces, and that's nice uh, to see. Um, I had a hard time knowing how to title this. I titled it A Great Need to Die, but I was going to title it Is God Your Real Treasure? And I hope at the end of this you'll see that they are really similar in the end. Lord, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for this time together. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us, God, that you would uh, change us, Lord. God, that we would uh, seek you and know you. God, that those that know you would seek you more, that they would surrender more and more as that day approaches. And I pray, God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that hasn't been born again, that has not been changed from the power on high, God, that they would come to know you in saving faith in Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, we have a portion of the, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, sermon ever preached in Scripture. We call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon that Jesus preached. There's a lot to be said here, but I just want to get straight into the text. It's about in the middle of his sermon. And he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. It's amazing how much money people spend every year on trying to not get things to rust and break and trying to not get thieves to steal. It's amazing how expensive it is, and I, I think I'm a little more aware of it because there's a lot of thievery in Ecuador where I live. And um, boy, the, if I had just had every nickel for every padlock I've bought, I'd probably be able to buy a house here in America. Um, it's amazing. And he says to us, be careful not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Because, because with the knowledge that knowing, being very aware that all those things are going to pass away. No matter how much money you spend, no matter how hard you try to lock it up and bathe it in oil, it's going to rust, it's going to pass away, and you will not have it. Um, but, he says in verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is to say, and I do not, just to make clear what I don't think he's saying, I don't think he's saying, don't ever have anything nice in this world. I don't think he's saying that. Don't ever get anything nice for yourself. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's talking about a heart issue. 
by the end of the verse, we see that, right? We see something of a heart issue here. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have to be very careful to guard our hearts. The scriptures literally say that, guard your heart. Because the world is screaming for attention and for affection. The world wants your heart. The things of this world want you to give your heart to them. Satan has designed it that way. He loves it that way. And he works very hard for us to give our hearts to the things of this world. And you see it. You see some weird things out there. People willing to do some very strange things. Remember years ago when them guys were throwing them their cells out of their build out of buildings. With, I want to say it was like two thousand eight when the uh, big cra- crash with the um, what was the name of that bank Enron. Remember that? I mean, just crazy things that I've seen through my short lifetime. Uh, throwing yourself out a window because you know some financial crisis and they they had embezzled a bunch of money and. They're obviously, their hearts were way too given over to the things of the world. And Jesus warns us and he says, listen, this is a warning that we all need to hear. There's no one that's exempt. There's no one that is above and beyond this thing. And if we look around, I think that we see a lot of this, giving of ourselves too much to the things of the world. Too much to temporal things. Why do I say the need to die is really one and the same of, is God your real treasure? Because God calls us to die to ourselves and our own will and our own wants and our own plans and surrender them to Him. To die to self is how Jesus said it. To, to say, you know, not my will, but your will be done. That's what Jesus calls us to. And it's so unpopular, and it's so weird. And, and if you really think about it, it seems like there's no way that Christianity had a chance. I mean, this strange rabbi starts walking around in sandals around Jerusalem saying, hey, I want you to take up your cross. I mean, he lived in Rome. Take up your electric chair and follow me. And people actually did it. You know, it's against all odds if you think about the thing. I mean, there's some people that think this is one of the greatest evidences. I don't personally. I think it's a great evidence, but think it's one of the great evidence to the reality and the truth of the gospel. Because how in the world did this thing succeed, and how are we on the other side of the world 2,000 plus years ago after the fact following some rabbi that was just saying these wild things? I mean, there's at one point, we just took communion, and he said, look, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And it says a great number of them took up their stuff, and they left, and they said, I'm done. This guy's a whack job. I don't want anything to do with this guy. That's what they said. And Jesus looked at his disciples, and they were confused. They didn't understand. They didn't understand he was talking about spiritual things. And they were confused, and they were kind of, I imagine in my mind from the dialogue, them looking at him like, yeah, that was pretty weird, Jesus. You know, I mean, who says that? We're not, we're not, you know, uh, people that eat other other people. You know, this is weird. We're not cannibals. And he says, "What are you going to leave me to? Are you going to leave me to?" And they said, "But Jesus, let's listen. You're the only one that has the words to eternal life." 
We don't have anywhere else to go. We know there's something about you. And the closer you get to Jesus, if you know Jesus today, if you've gotten closer, the closer you get to him, the more you realize Jesus is so unique and special and amazing. There's something about him that no other figure in all of history has displayed. The power, the might, the power of his words, the surety, the the confidence in every word he spoke. A lot of people are real into that show, The Chosen. I, it's not my thing, to be honest with you. And I'm not criticizing. If you like it, watch it. I mean, no big, it's not the same. But there's a scene in there in one of them, and he's preparing the Sermon on the Mount, the very sermon we're talking about here. And he's kind of walking around with a notepad, and he's going, no, that's not right. That won't sound good. I'm going, no, no. Jesus was never confused about what he had to say. He was never stuttering. You never see Jesus like, well, I'm not, well, I might take that back. You know, you see that in a lot of religious texts. You see that in the Quran, and you see that in a lot of religious texts where they get in the Mormons, in the Mormons, well, you know, that guy, well, he, he had a bad day that day, and he said some things, and we're not totally integrated. Jesus never did that, you guys. Everything we have that he said, he said, and he really meant it. He really meant what he said. And he said what he meant. And he was never confused about what he was going to say. He said, I only speak that which the Father told me. And I speak it. And I'm sure of it. And he says, be careful where you lay your treasures at. Careful what you find the most joy in. Careful what you find the most pleasure in. Careful what you invest in. Your money, your time, your talents, your family. Careful what you put yourself to. Careful what you give yourself over to. Be very careful. You know, I found out as I got older, it's tough investing. It's tough gathering up treasures in this world. I just looked at older people when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, they seem to have everything, and I have nothing. One day, I guess I'll have everything. It's just like an automatic thing, you know, that when you get old, you'll have Horses and farms and four-wheelers and all that. Hey, yeah, that'll be great. When I get old, I'll have all those things. And then I started working. And at my first job, I believe I made two seventy-five an hour. I know, I know. You guys working at McDonald's making $15 an hour. I was an idiot, I guess. But that's what I made. And I started to realize, and actually, ever since I was a little kid, I had great-grandparents on both sides. They taught me how to save. I've always been fairly well with money. First big thing I bought was a a moped. I was 13 years old. I saved and saved. I worked all summer at that job making $2.75 an hour. Calculate how long this took. This moped cost $200. My neighbor owned it, and I was determined I was going to buy that moped. My mom said I could have it if I paid for it. She never believed in her mind and her wildest dreams that I was actually going to save $200, Bill, by this thing. I worked day and night. I worked my fingers to the bones, and I saved by the end of the summer $200, and I went and bought that moped. It was a great treasure to me. It was a great treasure to me as a kid. I loved that thing. And I think I loved it too much, to be honest with you. And isn't it easy to let that kind of thing happen? Isn't it easy? 
to just look around and think, this is the norm, this is the way I ought to spend my life, everybody else is doing it, right? Everybody else is heaping up treasures for themselves, shouldn't I do the same? As a matter of fact, I've actually, to my great shame, have the thought at moments in my life, why am I giving up things where I could be living in luxury and having these things and giving up and doing without when nobody else seems to take this great commission seriously? To my great shame, I've actually had those thoughts go through my mind. I'm really embarrassed to even say such a thing, but I believe that a pastor ought to be an honest man. So I might as well be honest with you. As I said in the beginning, we all need to hear it. There's nobody exempt There's nobody that hears these words and go, oh, oh, I'm good. I don't have to think about that. That's not one of my problems. I don't believe it. We have to be very careful of what we're giving our lives to. In the end of the day, friends, I want to be very clear. The spiritual reality of this, nobody's getting by in a free pass. You remember in Galatians when he said, you reap what you sow and God is not mocked? Nobody's getting by. Nobody's going to escape. Nobody's going to figure out how to fool God on this and get their best life now and in the one to come. No, he said, I want you to die to self. I want you to give. I want you, the person that is last will be first. I think there's a lot of people in the middle line going, well, I just want to be in the middle. I don't care about being first. I just don't want to be last, right? We try to play. We're Americans. We're so smart. We're so smart for our own good. We're arrogant. We think we can do everything. We think we can have everything on both sides and everything work out. And Jesus says, I want you to die. I want you to give yourself. There's so many people that have religion. I mean, most of America is religious. It dumbfounds the secular scientists. They go, wow, I mean, in Europe, they've given up religion. In America, they just keep holding on. They get rid of Jesus, but they hold on to religious. Or they hold on to the name of Jesus, they just get rid of his doctrine. They always are slicing and dicing things. They're always trying to get everything. Get their, as they used to say, have their cake and eat it too. Right? It's even a saying we have. It's even common language. It's so common among us culturally. We think we can just, you know, serve Jesus and everything's fine and dandy. But in our private lives, we're not really going to sacrifice for him. We're not going to lay up treasures for eternity. Maybe a few. As long as it's not too inconvenient, it doesn't hurt too bad. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And the therefore is therefore. Always ask, what is the therefore therefore? Because the therefore is always there because of something that came prior. He's saying because of all this, because of chapters 1 through 11, because Christ died and was sacrificed, because everybody was without hope, because everybody who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because Jesus Christ came, was risen, was buried, was risen, because you put your faith and hope in Him, because you were born again, because you've been made new, because of all these things prior, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
That sounds like flowery, beautiful language, but think about what he's saying. You take an animal, you slit its throat, you get all the blood out of it, put it on the corner of the altar, it's sitting there, you know, blood and guts everywhere. You slaughter the thing, you splay it open, you got a raging fire going, and you throw that thing on the altar. And it starts to burn and you smell its hair. And then later, the good aroma starts to come. Not at first. At first, everything's ugly, gross, and stinks. If you ever slaughtered anything, the beginning of the process isn't very flattering. You ever notice? You guys are farmers, a lot of you, right? You cut a chicken's head off, or you cut a deer, or a deer gets hit on the side of the road, and you drag it up, and you open it up, and its guts are all, you know, it's, it's a foul thing to deal with this. You read in the Old Testament, thousands of sacrifices. They were cutting in blood and guts. You can imagine the priest covered head to toe in blood and guts. And he takes that language and he pulls it in and he says, Listen, church, if you really know Jesus, if you really have been born again and changed, present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, holy, separated, Set apart, different than the norm. We don't judge ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves. We look to one, which is Jesus. And we're holy and we're set apart because of it. And he says, this is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. You know, I was just kind of contemplating over this thing and I started thinking about all the great movies that I've watched in my life. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting when you start to look at the heart of the themes that grab the human attention, that grab the human intellect, that grab the heart of humans. The themes of sacrifice, of giving yourself, of being willing to lose everything for the betterment of someone else. You know, brave heart or or the Titanic, or, you know, he's there dying in the cold water, and she's laying on the raft, and, you know, he's giving it all. Honey, you take the spot. And we're all like, oh, it's beautiful. But when God says, I want you in the cold water, I want you to suffer loss of everything you own and everything you are. For the name of my son, we start to go, well, really, is it really that extreme? Does it really need to have to be that serious? We start to back up and pull away, don't we? He said it's your reasonable service. Why did he say that? I believe it's because he's saying that, look, Christ gave everything for us. Isn't it reasonable that we're willing to sacrifice for him? Isn't it? And do not be conformed to this world. If there's anything I see more common and more common and more and more and more common, it's the conforming to this world. I've never heard so many Christians cuss in my life. I've never seen so much worldliness in the church as this trip visiting. I've never seen so much worldliness in the churches as I've seen. And it seems like it's just more and more acceptance of the things of the world. And there's a, there's a, it's a hard line sometimes, you know. Some things aren't biblical. Sometimes we make a stand on things that we don't need to. Sometimes things, you know, that aren't, 
aren't clear, black and white scripture, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong, it's, you know, it's not really my thing, but we, we'll, we'll be very condemning towards certain things, but other things we just kind of accept, and um, it's a strange thing, but Paul warns us, and he says, be careful not to be conformed to this world. You know, you think of being conformed, you know, what back when I was a kid, my mom had these aluminum cake pans that have would be shaped like a maybe a turkey or a this or a that you know you pour the batter in and it just conforms to every crevice and you pull that thing out and you flip it over and you're like wow isn't that cool you know it conformed to every every little crevice in that pan every little thing that was there I see in the cake that's what he's talking about Do we look like the world? Do we talk like the world? Do we act like the world? Or is there something really actually different about us? Because I believe that if we actually live different, if there's something really different about us, the world will take notice. The world will wake up and take notice and they will see value in us. If we love radically, the world's not going to ignore it. If we follow Christ radically... If we're willing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How does that happen? Well, I believe it's a a two-sided thing, if you will. When you're born again, the Spirit of God, the Bible says, comes into you and changes you. Makes you alive. There's a part of you that did not exist that now exists. You're born again. There's a new creation. There's a new creature There's something new that happens when you're truly born again. You're not who you used to be. So the Spirit of God comes into your life and He starts speaking to you and He starts telling you, hey, I know that used to be okay, but not no more. That's not okay. And then there's the other side of this thing where we submit to the Spirit of God and we allow Him to transform our mind by submission to Him, by repenting. Repenting is changing your mind. Literally, the Greek word means to change one's mind. What that biblically means is to change from thinking the way I think and the way I want and the way I planned to knowing God. I know this seems reasonable to me, but you say something different, so I'm going to submit and change my mind to agree with your mind and what your word says. So there's a two-sided thing of this. The Holy Spirit is working in you, but we have to submit to Him. He will not force you to do anything. He will not force you. Eh, He might, time to time. I think He does, actually, from time to time. So I'll back up on that a little bit. But by far and large, most of the time, He does not force us to do things. He calls us by faith, to walk by faith, to follow Him by faith, to trust Him. Trust isn't natural, is it? Trust is a very difficult thing. I don't know about for you, but for me, it doesn't come naturally. I had a hard way growing up. It wasn't easy for me. I hope it was easier for you. But trusting has not been easy and when you start to step out in faith and you start to do things differently and you start to believe what Jesus said I'm going to give so that I may receive I'm going to be last so that I may be first in the by and by I'm going to die 
that I may live. When you start to really live that out, you start to feel the pain of how much you love the world. And it really isn't until you start to give till it hurts that you start to realize how much you really love the world. When we were leaving to go to the mission field in the beginning, we had to sell everything we had to buy tickets because we had no money. And some of the things we were planning on keeping so that when we came back, we'd have them. One of them was this canoe that my brother-in-law and my sister bought me for one Christmas. And I really like that thing. And we auctioned that thing off, and I think it sold for like 20 bucks. I don't even know. Boy, we came back from that auction, and we were, we were, we were pretty sad, pathetic people. And we, we knew. We, we, we were aware. Man, why are we so sad? We really loved that stuff too much, didn't we? That stuff had a real hold on us that we didn't even realize until we gave it up. It had a real hold and it had a real importance in our life. And we didn't even realize it until it was being taken away. It's a funny thing. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? I'd argue that if you haven't, something's not right. Something's not Christian in your way of life. I would argue that you don't have to be a foreign missionary to experience that. Not even close. I don't believe God calls a very large number of people to be foreign missionaries. Nor do I think of a foreign missionary as some more important or more higher standard of Christian than the average Christian. I don't believe that. I used to believe that before I was a missionary. I really did. I thought, well, those guys are really all out there and sold out. You know, those guys are, you know, that's what I want to do. I want, you know, and it is pretty radical. I'm not going to lie. But I've seen people right here in their own hometown that do things that blow me away. And I think that's a Christian. That's somebody really following Christ with their whole heart. They're not just, you know, Jesus said these words, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is always concerned with the heart, the inner part of man, not the, 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 the organ that beats your blood every day. He, it's the, it was the, the common terminology we lose in English and, and they used it in Greek and Hebrew. You know, the inner man, the dip depth, the part of man that's the deepest part of man. The real you. You know, like he said when he was talking to him about adultery, adultery, and he said, look, if you commit adultery in your heart, if you look with the woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, in the inner part of you. This is what the, the, our society hasn't grasped, that the, 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 the devil has gained so much ground in convincing these young people. It's just pornography. It's just a picture that nobody really sees. It's not, it's not really that important. It's not hurting anybody. I'm in my private room with a, just a, it's just a picture. It's, it's not hurting anybody. But now we're learning, starting to learn if you care to see the reality of the situation. No, there's actually a lot of trafficking going on, forcing girls to take these pictures that you're finding your pleasure with. And it's not just men, it's women almost as much as men. And it's doing great damage 
to the person addicted as well as the people that they're violating by looking at their pictures, being forced to take those pictures and sold into sex slavery. And we're starting to realize and we're starting to see the scope of this thing and how widespread it is. And it's almost, it's, it's really to me almost unbelievable. I believe it, but it's almost unbelievable because I'm so removed from it. It's hard to, but, but yet I talk to police chiefs, I've talked to people in ministry, I talk to people, and it's everywhere. And I think to myself, boy, we are in a bad way in America. If there's any time when we need to be serious about what Christ said, it's now, friends. If there's any time in history in America, in my lifetime, when we need to get back to the book and take every precept and every line and every word serious, it is now. It is now when we need to draw nigh unto Christ, fall down at the foot of the cross, beg for forgiveness, repent and believe the gospel and follow him with a radical belief, with a radical faith. It is now. Church, if there's any time, any time when we need to be out sharing the gospel and loving our neighbors, it's today. I'm seeing things I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would see. In Colossians 3.1, he said then, if you were raised with Christ. I tell people this all the time when I'm preaching in Spanish. Because the word if in Spanish is C. It's a two-letter word. I know you think it's yes, and it is, but it's the same word for if. And it's a two-letter word. And I said, oftentimes in the scriptures, some of the smallest words can have the most meaning. They can have, you, 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 your tendency is they're very small. You just pass them by. They're just kind of connective words. And you just kind of pass them by. But they're so important. You can never pass them by. The word but in scripture, always figure out why is it saying but? Why is it saying if? If then, if you were raised with Christ, because you may be sitting here and you haven't been raised with Christ. You don't know what it is to be born again, to be made a new creature in Christ. You don't know what it really is. You just think Christians coming to church, singing the hymns, clapping your ass, saying hallelujah, giving the offering and going home and trying harder to do the right thing. Hey, all those things are great, but that is not what the Bible means by being raised with Christ. Hey, I've been baptized. Hey, I've done this. Hey, I go to Bible study. That is not what it means to be raised with Christ. We're talking about a supernatural. We're talking about something that is outside of the power of the present physical church to do. We're talking about something only the Holy Spirit is actually able to do. When Jesus came, he said, look, John baptized with water, but I come baptizing with the Holy Spirit in power. He's saying, look, that baptism in water, that's a command. He tells us to do it. Do it. But I'm telling you that if you don't know anything of the new birth, being born of the Spirit, born of above, you know nothing of being a Christian. Being raised again from the dead... That's the terminology here. That's the idea here. I was dead in my sins and trespasses and sins. And he raised me up and made me a new creature in Christ. I'm born again. I'm not who I used to be. 
And it's not because I decided to do something. That's not what the song is saying. When it says I had decided to follow Jesus, this guy had been born again in a village in India. Radically changed. Started living his life and preaching the gospel in his village and people started getting saved. And the chief got angry because they were giving attention to him instead of the chief. You see? And jealousy came in. And he said, no, 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 we won't have any of that Christianity here. And he came up and he said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill all your kids and your whole family if you don't deny Jesus. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. This was after he was already a believer. And he killed all his kids and while they're twitching on the ground and bleeding. I know it's vulgar, but this is reality. This is what really happened, documented history. And he says, look, if you don't deny this Jesus, I'm going to take your wife. And he said, look, the cross is before me. The world is behind me. There's no turning back. And he kills his wife. He tells the archers, kill her too. And they kill her. And they said, well, your own skin. Same thing that happened with Job. Now we're going to turn to you. When your own skin is about to get singed, where do you stand? Are you willing to stand up for Christ when your own skin is getting ready to be burned? He said, there's no turning back. No turning back. And they killed him. You know what happened? The whole village got saved, including the chief that had them ordered that they were killed. That's the documented history of the story. Because he believes so much in this thing we call the gospel, so much in the person and work of Jesus Christ, so much in the historical reality of what happened back there in Jerusalem. Some old fishermen, tax collectors, Pharisees, that they said it's worth dying for. And he says, if you were raised with Christ, that's the language. I was dead. I had no hope. I tried in my own strength. I thought I was something, but I realized I had no hope. I was a sinner, and there was no hope. But in Christ Jesus, I was raised. I was raised. I was lifted up. I was given new life. I was given hope where there was no hope. And he says, if you were raised with Jesus, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, when you also will appear with him in glory. What do you seek for joy? What do you seek to get peace and joy in your life? More Jesus or more the world? Where do you go to when things get hard? Some people only go to Jesus when things get hard. When everything's good, they, you know, they're... Doing all manner of things. Where do you go when things are good? Where do you go when things are hard? What do you think of when you wake up in the morning? Oh, I got to get this done. I got to do this. I got to. We've all been there. But what's your general tendency since you reportedly got saved and were born again? Is it to wake up and think on Christ, to seek His Word, to want to know His Word, to pray? on behalf of your lost family and loved ones, thinking on eternal things, thinking on souls, thinking, hey, 
my stock market is really down. The stock market ain't doing too good. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Are we focusing and investing on the things of the world or Christ? Let me just be really clear. And I, I typically say this, and I, I just always feel the need because I think the, the fame of missionaries in America is always oh, coming around to get support. I don't need your support. I thank you for it, and this church has been very faithful and very good to us and helped us a lot over the years. And if you feel so led to continue to support, I will be thankful, and more importantly, God will be thankful, and he will shower you with blessings. I believe that because the scripture says it. But look, there's a lot of missionaries out there you may feel led to give to instead of us, and that's between you and God. I'm not here to beg for support. I don't believe that's my job to worry about that. I believe my job is to preach the gospel and to focus on things above and not on the things of this earth. I'm not here to manipulate people and make them feel like they're not giving enough to the church. Maybe you aren't. Maybe you're giving too much. I don't know. That's between you and God. But I want to make it clear. I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. What are we doing with our treasures? What are we doing with the gospel? What are we doing with what God has given us? What are we doing with the time God has given us? What are we doing with the resources? We're in a time in history where we have more knowledge, more resources, more riches than ever before. And we're sending out less missionaries than ever before. We're at a time when we have so much access and so many translations of the scriptures and so clearly given to us what God said in his word. And guess what? Less people in America believe in God today than they did 10 years ago. Significantly less. Significantly less. We read it in in Sunday school. Less than 50% of millennials in America believe God exists. Two-thirds of Americans ages 18 to 35 doubt God's existence. Americans doubting in God doubled in one generation. What do we do in church? Are we really praying, fasting, giving ourselves wholly over to the things of God? Are we really? Can we really confess? And I just want to say this before I end. There's a great tendency... To hear a message like this and say, yeah, you're right, i got to try harder. And there's a sense in which that's true. There's also another sense in which we all need to just surrender. We can't, he says very clearly, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's what the scripture says. That there's this, there's this reality that it's a surrender. It's a seeking him with our whole hearts that something happens. It's not a Christianity is not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. All those those exist. That's not the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is this relationship with one and this this utter commitment and love. And I love you so much, God, that whatever you say, here I am, send me. That's what Christianity is. I love you so much. Use me, God. Here I am. I'm at your disposal, Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say, he said. Because we we talk a lot, and we like to go through the motions, and we compare ourselves, and we look at the pastor, and we go, well, he's like this, and he's like this, and the missionary is like this, and he has a nice this, and so I'm going to be like this. And we don't seek God. If there's anything that's coming more clear to me in Scripture, 
I've been studying the scriptures for about 22 years or so. Diligently studying them every day in the scriptures. And something that's becoming more real to me, clear to me, probably didn't really see it that much at all in the first years of reading the scriptures. It's how much he asks us to do things that are humanly impossible. How much he he requires of us. And he knows that humanly they're impossible. That without him empowering us, these things will not happen. They won't happen. We will not win our neighbors. We will not we will not bring people into the kingdom of God without him. He said it very clearly in John 15. He said, look, seek me, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. But without me, you will, you, you'll do nothing. That's what he said. You'll do nothing without me. It is only with this intimacy and this relationship with him that we will do anything. And you see stories like Micah and Judges and, and uh Ahab and different stories in the Old Testament where these people paid lip service to God. They did all the religious things. They kept doing all the religious things. They went to church on Sunday. They paid their tithes. They sacrificed sacrifices. They did all these things, but their hearts were far from God. Their treasures were the things of this earth. And God tested them. And when the rubber meets the road, God knew and they knew. And it was clear to everybody where their hearts really were invested. And you see stories like Balaam, you know. And God says, no, don't you dare curse my people. And he keeps begging. And the, and the, the, the pagan king keeps saying, look, I got all these riches and glory for you. You might want to go ask your God again. I'm going to make you a great man. And he goes, God, can I please, 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 can I curse him? Because he was wanting all that stuff. And God said, what? No, don't you dare. He said, go with him. You want it? Go ahead. Go ahead, Balaam. That's shocking. I mean, if you read this, it's shocking. I don't know about you, but when I started reading things like that and and the prophets that came along and the false prophets and they told the king, you know, yeah, go up to Ramoth Gilead. God will deliver him under your hand. And God put a lying spirit in their mouth and he went up there and was murdered. Because he had turned away and done wicked before God. And God said, you want that? Go ahead. God may give you what you want. And it may turn out really bad. If it's all in the, of the flesh. You see what I'm saying? We have to be very careful where our hearts are. We have to be very careful what are, we're giving ourselves over to. Because God... Is very serious about being the only lover of your soul. God is very serious like a jealous husband. He's not playing second fiddle. God will not have you have a false God in your corner of money, of, of fame, of whatever it is, and him too. God won't have it. That's why he says things like, seek me first. He's not playing. That's why the first of the Ten Commandments is one Lord, one God. Have no idol before me. 
is the second. The first three, in fact, deal with this reality of God saying, Look, O Israel, the Lord is one. I will be second to no one. And we think sometimes, Wow, isn't that selfish and arrogant of God? If we only knew the immense love behind it all. Because God knows. I'll just make up a scenario. Say some rich white boy goes down into the poor slums of Africa. He may be some beautiful little young girl's only hope to escape. And he's marrying her and taking her for what he can do for her, not what she can do for him. In a similar fashion, God knows he's our only hope. (laughs) He's our only hope. Outside of him, there is no hope. We have no second, just like the disciples said in the beginning of the sermon, God, where do we go? Nowhere else is mighty enough, powerful enough, omniscient enough. To sustain the human heart. It's God alone. Christ alone. There is blood alone. So I pray. My prayer is. That we just. Be a little more careful. Opening up our phones every morning. Turning on the television. Letting the world into our lives. And we. We stop ourselves. And see the reality of the need. To give our lives and our hearts, our minds and our bodies over fully to Christ. And say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. That's my prayer today. Lord God, I pray for the one that doesn't know you here. I pray, God, for the one that's wrestling with the things of the world that are pulling for them. Pulling for them to give themselves over to the things of the world, God. I pray for the people, God, that have compromised that have played games with the things that are eternal. Lord, help us. Help us, God, to be hold looser to things of this world, to give over, to let go, to fall in love with you as in the first for those that do know you. Help us, God, to surrender, to repent, to turn, to change our minds and to realize that this world can never satisfy Help us, God. In Christ's name I pray.